Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, uplifting support for your grief and healing journey. We're here to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence so that you can build a life of purpose and joy. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Certified Grief Coach. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 107, The Promise with Jason Hewlett. I have a special interview for you today. I've said that a few times this last little bit, but I'm really excited to introduce you to another wonderful friend. I saw Jason on stage a few years ago, and I was so captivated with what he did that I looked him up and I've been following him ever since. Then last year, I joined our local chapter of the National Speakers Association, and I ran into him again. And I was fangirling, honestly, because it was kind of a big deal. When I, when I saw him a few years before, he was emceeing an event with thousands of people. And I, you know, here I am at this meeting feeling totally inadequate to be a part of the same organization as such an incredible talent. Then COVID hit. And I was watching my friends who are full-time speakers suffer because of the shutdown of events. I felt it in really small ways because I also had events planned that suddenly all canceled, but my income wasn't dependent on it. It wasn't my full-time job. You know, just before everything shut down, when there were rumors about the pandemic, I spoke for a women's civic organization. And I remember walking into that event and I knew some people there and I wasn't even sure if I should give them a hug or what I should do. Cause it was just like, there were just rumors going around and we just weren't even sure of what was happening yet. And that was the last event I spoke at. And then I had another women's local women's group that I was supposed to be speaking at. And I was going to be speaking at a yoga wellness studio a couple hours from my home. But keynote speaking is not my full-time gig. My full-time gig is coaching. And speaking is a small piece of what I do, like really, really small piece of what I do. But when everything shut down, people like Jason, who depended on corporate events, large conferences for their income, found themselves suddenly without a job. And I have watched Jason over the last few months as he has made this transition. I've been so impressed. He's just a great, great guy with great qualities and great values that I really wanted you to hear from. With, uh, you know, I've heard him talk before about some transitions that he's had in his, in his career. And the reason I wanted to talk about this, and I think that it's, it's, what happens too often as we look at other people's losses, like people will look at my loss and they say, well, you lost two children. You know, I have nothing to complain about. I just lost a job, but losing a job is a loss and it's, it, it involves grief. And we have to go through that grief in order to get to the other side of it in order to rebuild. And I had heard Jason talk before about a transition he made a few years ago because of his health. And we're going to, you're going to hear about that in the interview. And then with the pandemic and loss of his, of his entire book of business, essentially, that's a huge loss. And it is not just a job. 
it's not just a career. It, it, those types of things affect our identity and our purpose. And his latest book, you know, he talks about the promise and he talks about the promise a lot. I'll let him explain more about what that means during the interview. But what you're going to hear is how his personal values and his commitment to the promise have influenced and informed his ability to rebuild after loss. If you haven't had this specific loss, you will still learn so much. Anytime we talk to anyone about any of their losses, we learn from their experience. We learn how to work through our losses and we learn how to rebuild. That's the whole purpose of being here. Let me tell you a little more about Jason and why I was fangirling when I met him at an event last year. Having delivered thousands of presentations over two decades, Jason Hewlett is the only speaker in the world teaching leadership in a performance of uncanny musical and comedy impressions, utilizing the legends of stage. Jason is the author of the Facebook post entitled, I Saw My Wife at Target Today, which has been seen by more than a hundred million people. One of the youngest inductees in the prestigious Speaker Hall of Fame, his talks inspired leadership from the perspective of a promise while giving attendees an engaging, entertaining, and educational experience all in one. Here's the interview. Well, hello, Jason. So excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be a part of this. Yeah. Welcome to Build a Life After Loss. We are thrilled that you agreed to this interview because I think your story is very, very important because a lot of times we don't, we think of loss as death and divorce and we don't think of other things that people have experienced. And as I was reading your book, which is excellent, by the way, and we'll have a chance to talk about that later. Um, I really saw the journey that you took through many career changes. And so excited to talk to you today. I met Jason. Jason doesn't know I met him, but five years ago, he was on stage and I thought, who is this guy? And I looked you up and I've been on your mailing list ever since. And then recently we had a chance to meet. So Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself, like kind of, you know, how your career started. Started my career actually as a uh, 20-something year old trying to figure out how to be a performer and make people laugh and doing comedy, music, impressions, all kinds of fun stuff and really found myself quite quickly in Las Vegas and uh, started my career as a Ricky Martin and Elton John impersonator, which are two completely opposite type of you know look, sound, music, everything. But I was able to impersonate them quite well. And so I would dress up as them, sing as them. I could even play the piano as Elton John. That kind of thing was really fun. And that was a Las Vegas show that I traveled all around the country doing right after getting married to my beautiful wife, Tammy. So that was uh, almost 20 years ago. And it's amazing that that's where my career started. And then through the years, I put together a one-man act of many impressions from Guns N' Roses to Led Zeppelin to the Bee Gees, Ario Speedwagon, Prince, you name it. It was kind of part of the act for a while. And uh, it was a family-friendly show for corporate events mostly. Did a few public shows as well that went well uh, with the public, which was cool. 
and then eventually transformed all of this into a speaking career, mm-hmm. realizing that I could teach leadership through the voices that I was doing impressions of by saying that we all have our own unique voice, which I call a signature move. And I also like to say it's our promise to the world to share that which makes us unique. So that's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of my career. For sure. And you are now a speaker hall in the speaker hall of fame. And, and like you said, you know, teach your leadership expert and author and, and that's pretty exciting, but that's not where it started. It started with performing. And then you had kind of a, a health challenge that changed all that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I was doing things to my voice that you shouldn't do to your voice. I mean, if you were to go to a high school football game, you would hear kids screaming at the top of their lungs. And if you were a voice teacher, you would say, oh, please don't do that to yourself. You're going to ruin your gift. (laughs) I was doing that essentially every single gig that I had. And I was averaging 200 dates a year traveling all over the world as a performer. And so when you're destroying your gift, eventually it catches up to you. So in my early 30s, mid 30s, all of a sudden things started to kind of fall apart in terms of my momentum. I was getting tired, worn out of actually doing the act. And then equally, my voice was hurting a lot. And when I say my voice, my throat, my vocal cords, everything about it was very painful. But I was abusing my gift. And so I was hurting it by doing the music I was trying to impersonate. Metallica, Bruce Springsteen, Rod Stewart, stuff that, you know, those guys were built for that. That's their voice. My voice is more of a Frankie Valley meets Nat King Cole type of a voice. So it's a little bit silkier where theirs is more rough around the edges. And so I was doing impersonations of those, really hurting myself. Had a doctor eventually, you know, stick a, a video camera down my throat the ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctor, as, as I had been going there every year to say, what's happening to my voice? What's wrong with my throat? I'm coughing all the time. I, I'm constantly having pain. Stuck a video camera down my throat and told me that I had some problems going on there. And that if I continued doing what I was doing to my voice, that it would be gone pretty quick, pretty quickly. And so, you know, Julia is a speaker yourself. You know that if you're going to lose your voice, <laughs> well, that's kind of a bummer if you're a speaker or a singer full time. And so I had to make some choices, which was, yeah, like a huge loss for me because these were voices that the crowd really loved. And it was part of my act. And eventually I also had major pain, not just in my throat, but also in my neck. I was doing impressions of Jim Carrey at, where I would whip my head around and I would, and so I was in traction and physical therapy for months on end trying to, with weights on the front of my head and weights on the back of my neck, trying to pull my body back into alignment and just doing everything I could to physically get through the next gig where I would abuse myself on stage physically and then come off the stage just beat up. And uh, yeah, so I had to make some big changes, which was not easy. Yeah. So that just wasn't sustainable to keep going at that pace. No way. And it was just too much. (laughs) Yeah, I remember you talking about that transition from entertainer to speaker and and how there were just kind of crickets for a moment there. So tell 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 us a little bit about, you know, kind of that transition and and what you experienced during that time. Oh, sure. I mean, 
imagine imagine for a second you know your your favorite actor let's say it was jim carrey for example let's say jim carrey the funniest guy you've ever seen who could do all these great things all of a sudden decided to go from comedy to drama now if you're a jim carrey fan you know that he's made that transition other artists have had more success with that people like robin williams did it well uh, Tom Hanks, who was more of a comedy guy at first, became a great actor in the drama side. And what I found, Julie, that was really, really deflating was although people had asked me to share a leadership message after they'd seen me perform, it was just very few and far between. As I started to make the transition from saying, I can't just perform all the time. It's hurting my voice. I have to do, uh, I have to do what I feel compelled and called to do, which is share leadership and, and self-improvement. And so as I was trying to make that transition into being a leadership speaker, instead of simply the end of the night entertainment for the event, which is a great spot for me, mm-hmm. uh, I had a very few people come along the journey with me. It was a terribly difficult transition. And it was, it's still actually to this day been a challenge. And I've I went all in on it about four years ago, changed my website, took all the entertainment aspect off. And that was a big deal for me to do that because that's like saying goodbye to what has always worked and <laughs> hello to what I don't know will. <laughs> and so I had a, a lot of struggle getting that going and I had to build my business from scratch starting over again. Yeah, and it was almost forced upon you because there really wasn't a lot of option at that point, was there? Yeah, not very many options for me. I mean, I I could have tried to become more of a comedian if I wanted to do more comedy as the show at the end of the night. But the reality is, Julie, when you feel called to share a message and something that you're compelled to do, I, I said, I have to be the speaker guy who implements some of the entertainment that doesn't hurt me physically. And yeah, I was forced pigeonholed into this. Uh, or else it would have been some other career for me. I don't know what else I would be doing. So I'm so grateful that this turned out, but it's certainly been a huge challenge, like crazy hard. Yeah. Yeah. How did you manage that to, to go from this, you know, this is who I am because like that was a big deal. Like you were out there saying, this is who I am. And then you're saying, nope, this is who I am. How did you manage that? Well, when it comes to your topic and the thing that we're talking about on this podcast, I mean, all of us have gone through a type of a death or a divorce or a a challenging situation where we have to put something to the side. Uh, what, What was hardest for me was knowing that I could go back to it and still abuse myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really tough. I mean, it almost seems like it would be easier to have a clean break and have to start over. What I, what I was, you know, when, when I was trying to move forward and create a new life and build a new everything was that I was seeing that the, I don't know if they're coming with me. I don't know if anyone's going to buy into this. So I would sometimes, Julie, I'd go back and try to grab on to what still was. And that made me even worse of an entertainer and worse of a speaker. It was better for when I just said, it's over. The entertainment stuff is over in that aspect. I'm done with it. And I'm moving forward with this new life I'm creating. But it had to be a firm decision. I had to act as if it was another something that was, you know, it it, it was different than me. 
but it was my true life purpose. It was a new mountain to climb. And, and a lot of journaling went into that. Uh, mm -hmm. I was cranking through journals. I was talking to, I mean, I hired therapists, coaches, you know, business coaches, life coaches, everything I could to get through that because I was utterly alone. Even my family, and I, I love my, my beautiful wife and my children, but they were saying, Daddy, you know, what are we going to do <laughs> financially? <laughs> like, it was not good. And I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I know it. I just don't know how it's going to work. And it was ugly. And it was, mm -hmm. uh, it was at the same time, it was something that we got through eventually. So, yeah, mm -hmm. pretty gnarly. Yeah. And, you know, I think that just mirrors so much the, the grief experience. And, and I appreciate Jason that you mentioned like the effort that you put in. It's, you know, I think there's, there's effort involved in making change, whether that's a change that has been thrust upon us or a change that we're choosing or a mix of the two, right? <laughs> so yeah, really Definitely. important. Definitely was a mix of the two. I mean, I could have made the choice to stay back in the world I was in, and I could have floundered there until my voice and body wore out completely. And, uh, you know, I've had peers that have done that, and I've had heroes that have, and they're dead by 50. It's a very sad thing. Mm -hmm. And so in my early 30s, saying, this is what I have to make a transition to do, and now in my 40s, I'm saying, I'm glad I did that, but, oh, it was it was not pretty. Yeah. And thankfully had you know, the support of certain people that were not saying you're insane, but were saying, how can we help you get through it? Because, I mean, usually it was somebody I hired that would help me. Most all the other people were saying, go back to that old life. That was so much easier, so much better. And I was saying, it's not the right path. I'm, I'm not on the right path. I know it. And my body won't let me do it. Yeah. Yeah, so important that just that the power of choice, the, the power of making a choice and deciding and and getting that support that you needed. And the journaling is huge. We talk about that a lot here. You know, that that introspection that that needs to happen in order to to make the changes that we need to make in order to not not just survive, but to thrive. And and you have you did, you thrive in your position as a speaker, but then 2020 happened. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what happened to the speaker industry in 2020. Crazy times. Uh, in 2020, I was pretty flying pretty high. I mean, I was doing pretty well in 2018, 2019, things were going well. 2020 looked like a banner year. And I'm sure this is familiar to anyone listening or watching that they're saying, you know, 2020 is going to be awesome. It's the year of vision and all of that 2020 mixed up. And then March comes along and boom, client after client. I'll never forget. I was driving down the road, getting gas on the way back to my house from an appointment where I had been featured in a magazine. It was just a big, cool year, beginning of March, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, I got call after call the same day from every single client. And these are full fee, real, you know, when you're a, when you're a speaker on the big stages, you get a nice fee and you live at a higher rate of, than you probably normally should. But I mean, we were, we were now destitute. Every single gig was gone. Uh, I mean, right away. It was crazy. 
My books went from having a ton of events to nothing. And as I tried to pick up the pieces, I mean, talk about feel like you're falling down something. You can't grab on to anything as you're just slipping down this mountainside. And I was saying, uh, wait a minute, please don't tell me you're canceling your event. Can we just postpone it? Can we just do something like later or maybe a virtual event? And everyone said, no, no way. We're waiting until this passes. We'll book it in the next year or in two years. Some even Julie said, please send us your deposit back that we sent you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm now already spent the deposit. I'm living on their, their money. I mean, it was a disaster. And to have four kids, um, three of them teenagers, and one little guy, uh, you know, we were like, well, now what? And th that was, that was ugliness, like way uglier than the transition trying to become entertainer to speaker. It's, it's losing your job and losing every opportunity to even do anything because they were not allowing events to happen with gatherings of people. And I'm used to speaking to thousands of people at a time for those large events. And so, you know, from the outside, somebody looking in would say, oh, Jason's fine. He's a motivational dude and, you know, he's talented and he can do anything. And it was n not the case. I mean, I, I didn't give up, but I sat there and this was like a lot of journaling and a lot of self-introspection and chatting with my family. I mean, we started doing these because they were uh, home from school all of a sudden. We started doing three-a-day meetings as families. We would wake up, do a quick meeting, middle of the day have a meeting, end of the day, how was the day kind of meeting. We started doing these three-a-days mm -hmm. and decided as, you know, between dad and child, what's the thing you want to do with dad that would make this time feel valuable to you? Because now all of a sudden, I'm not flying on airplanes anymore. I'm not the dad who comes home and gets to hang out and be fun for a minute and then flies away again for the client. Now I'm full-time in the house, and it was a huge shift for our family. And so all of that combined with what's dad going to do was a very panic-stricken time. Um, but we found peace in the reality of what was and saying, well, this is too bad. What can we do instead? <laughs> you know? And our instead was, we get more time together. Our instead was, maybe we can go on a family walk every day now. Our instead was, wow, church is canceled, so I guess we get to do it at home. Our instead was, hey, let's work on our physical bodies. Let's eat healthier. Our instead was, maybe we need to look at our financial life that we've created for ourselves over 20 years of daddy doing really well. And now having nothing coming in, well, how long can we live? What are we going to do? Are we going to just pretend that it's not happening or can we change a few things? So Julie, we went through and canceled every gym membership and we started selling things that we could find around the house that people might buy. We cleaned out the garage and the attic. And I mean, it was like one of those things you see in a movie where everybody's in the middle of a depression and trying not to get depressed. Mm -hmm. And it was a fascinating time. Yeah. You know, one of the things that has um, impressed me watching you through this transition because of, 
you know, our association and the natural national speakers association and, and seeing how other speakers have, have had to deal with this same reality that we're in, which I, I want to mention, you know, so important what you said, you know, we have to deal with the reality as it is. And so often we spend so much time spinning our wheels, trying to, trying to um, pretend like the reality isn't what it is. So super, super important. But one of the things that has really impressed me is, has how in reading your book and hearing your story and different pieces of your story over time, how values, personal values have informed your decisions and those times that have been trying. So talk, talk a little bit about that. Like what, what that has meant to you to have that basis to, you know, that you haven't turned from your values. The values are still there. It's just now we're going to do things a little differently, but the values are set. Yeah. You know, I think that there's no better time to really, uh, push your values into the foundation that you've built than when things are bad. <laughs> I mean, that's really the the metal of the man, if you will. And so when it all came to a head and we said, how are we going to do this? It was now a chance for creativity. It was now, what is our, what is our value? Because, you know, Julie, at the time we were told we were non-essential workers. And I understand the phrase, phraseology of that. Essential was you know, people that serve others with health care and things like that. And, and of course, they are essential. They're more essential in that case. And as I went through this, I realized people like speakers like us, who are motivational, inspirational speakers, were falling into a rapid depression and really having their confidence ripped to shreds because they were used to being patted on the back and clapped for and standing ovations and making big checks. Some of them just sat by and waited. And I understand. I mean, everybody has their way of dealing with grief and, and we can't judge them. I remember watching them and saying, I wish I could help them. How can I help you? And I had a lot of conversations. I mean, I think the first two months was just on the phone or on zoom calls with peers, just trying to talk them off their proverbial ledge and I was on my own, you know, saying, what are we going to do? How's it going to work? But we found out real quickly that just by being creative and savvy and ahead of the curve, we did all we could with all the cameras that I have owned through my career and have never used. And I just needed to get a way to connect them to my computer so that I could then create a virtual experience for my clients. And Julie, none of those clients wanted me to do it virtual. So I had to go after new clients and tell them, I am available to do it virtual for you. The presentation's still great. And none of them believe me. It was just like back in 2016 when I went from entertainer to speaker where nobody believed I could make that transition and be inspiring and entertaining. Now it was just a very simple build a business again from scratch. And what did that mean? That meant let me prove my value to you by showing up on your Monday morning calls. And let me inspire your people for 15 minutes. And Julie, that became my way of practicing and practicing and making so many mistakes. You saw me on a call for the uh, the Colorado chapter where my voice wasn't matching up and things were clicking off. And, and I was 
I was failing as much as possible in order to figure out how to succeed. And I'm so grateful that I went ahead and did that, <laughs> even in front of people. I mean, I was posting videos on Facebook about where I was weeping and talking about the challenges we were going through, but that we were not stopping to try and create something great. And it, it was almost a cathartic journey for my peers and for friends and family that watched us go through this. And I'm not saying we're completely out of it, but things are really rocking now, eight months into this. And I'm so grateful that we didn't allow that to just be a, you know, some people just stay up on the peak of their lives and they're like, I, I want to get over to that other peak, but I can't. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're up there too long. They need to descend and you need to, you can look back and say, wow, that was cool. But now it's time for me to repack and re-energize myself and go up a new peak. And that's what we've done. And yes, we can look back at the old peak and say, oh man, that life was great, wasn't it? But what's great about this life? This life that we've now created, I think it's even better. How is that possible? Because it's a hybrid life. It's gone from live events only to now being able to do it virtual or live. I mean, I just spoke to people in Lebanon the other morning. You know, they would, they never could have afforded to have me fly out there. Instead, I just hopped on a Zoom call and they were thrilled. It's a miracle. The best thing that could have happened to so many of us is this tragic 2020, if we've allowed it to become that. Mm, absolutely. You know, Jason, it's like life can be different and great. Totally. So, you know, you, you alluded to this idea that things have changed, but that this transition, that there's been some positives that have come out of this. You know, how, how do you see just kind of overall, like the transitions of life and how that's expanded who you are? Because you didn't, you, you know, we, we sink in that, that depression or anger or whatever we experience in those, those times of grief, we sink in that for a time. But then when we face reality and we go, okay, this is the new reality. I love the idea that you, you know, you brought up creativity because actually in grief, the left side of our brain slows down and the right side of our brain is more energized, which gives us naturally more creativity. So, you know, we use that to then rebuild and to rethink and to retool you know, talk a little bit about how that has made you a better person. Yeah, of course. This this time has been so interesting because when your schedule is all of a sudden wide open, it's funny how everything can fill in the gaps, and you can say, "Oh man, I you know, imagine if I had if you're working a nine to five job, and then all of a sudden you're let go from the job. You're thinking, whoa, there's so many things I could do.'" And then all of a sudden life gets in the way and you're just running errands all day and cleaning up all day and doing emails all day. And the next thing you know, you go, man, I, how did I do all I did with my full-time job? Well, that's what could happen to our lives in the middle of a pandemic or a shift. Or instead, we could create what we want of it. And I know, Julie, that as I was sitting there thinking to myself, okay, I have now no flights, no hotels, no worries about having to go and deliver the speech. So now what can I do? And I realized that I had fallen into some bad patterns and habits, such as I was not good at sleeping. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm good at I'm good at going on three hours of sleep because I'm a I'm a road warrior, and so I thought, what could I f- kind of work on during this time? And it became getting better at going to sleep. And I know that sounds so simple, but that was a huge deal for me. To instead of staying up till three in the morning and waking up at seven like I was used to for the last twenty years, I'm now going to bed at ten o'clock, and I wake up naturally at five. Bizarre to me. I never thought I'd be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a matter of creating things like, you know, the, the book. I, I wrote a book last year in 2019. So excited for the launch in 2020. Then this all happened and we did all that we could to get it to roll out. And Julie, the, the launch was successful enough that it, it did well on Amazon and other things, but it certainly wasn't what we'd hoped for. And so as that was its own kind of death for me, <laughs> going, here is life, here's my book. And then it's like, it didn't do as well as we hoped. Oh, dang it, you know. Well, <laughs> what can we do with a book that doesn't do so well? Well, maybe we can make a course out of it. Maybe we can create some uh, coaching from it. And so I've, uh, as well as becoming this virtual speaker guy, now I'm creating a whole new business of consulting, coaching, training. I mean, that was never on my radar. I didn't have time for that. And so it, what is the creative ways that we can create something out of what's not worked or what is is kind of dead to us? And we can look at it and say, is that something that I can make out of nothing? Or is there something there that can become greater? And that's what's been really great about this time for us. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah, I um I, I had to giggle a little bit when you're talking about launching a book during this because I launched a book as well. <laughs> and it was very different than I had envisioned. And you know, like you have events scheduled to launch and so forth, and then those things don't happen. So yeah, I can really appreciate that. Um well, thank you so much. That's just there's so many gems in the things that you've shared with us today. And so I just want to you know, express my gratitude. Is there anything else that kind of comes to mind as you think about navigating tough times? Well, you know, when you reached out to me initially and I said, I don't know how I would be a guest on your podcast because as I've listened to it and I, I hear your story and I go, oh my goodness, you know, I mean, you've been through things that, you know, uh, every parent just goes, oh my, how would I get through it? And as I've learned from you and how you've moved forward and, you know, continued to honor all that's happened in the past, obviously, but create something even more beautiful now. And as I've looked at my friends that have gone through that loss of a spouse and other things like that, I think to myself, first of all, I'm very grateful for my life. And I'm even grateful for the losses that have happened to me. I mean, without them, we don't become who we are. And if we can find the gratitude within the tragedy, uh, that's not just a motivational mantra, I don't believe. I think it's the healthiest way for us to say to ourselves, I, I can kind of get through anything. And I can help others get through it as well. Because I've been through some tragedy. And hold my hand. Let's go through this together. And I found something really interesting is that, uh, you know, a lot of my friends and, and family and others have kind of hermitized themselves. And we do that when in tragedy 
especially with the grief, you know, and so we're, we're, we're becoming hermits and hiding away and not calling people back or whatever it might be. And so, um, as, as I saw myself doing that, I was dr- withdrawing from everything and everyone in March, April, May. I started walking around my neighborhood and I would walk in the, and I live in Utah where it's freezing cold, just like Colorado, where it's like too cold to walk in March or April outside. But I was walking sometimes four miles, sometimes eight miles. I would just walk, walk, and walk. And I remember one night I was just complaining to myself, and you know this story because I shared it once before, but I haven't done a podcast, I don't think. And I was walking and I was, I was asking myself why I'm so unessential. Because everyone was telling us we were as speakers, as, you know, we're, we're not, we're not that important anymore. And so we have no way to make a living. And I'm praying to God as I'm walking and I'm talking to myself and, you know, that whole weepiness thing. And, and it was important for me to do that because as we express it, it's like having poison inside of us. We throw it up, we get rid of it, and then we can move on. But as I was expressing this, all of a sudden, out, I heard the sound of a dog barking. And the dog was barking in the middle. And I realized I was like, at the end of a city, <laughs> like, where did I walk? I had walked to the end of my neighborhood and my city, just wandering in one direction. And there were a bunch of foundations of homes that had been poured. And I followed this dog barking that was not a normal bark. It was like a tragic bark. And I could resonate with it because I was going through the same thing, like a call for help to the universe. And as I get closer to this foundation, I found a dog down in the foundation of, of this house that was not wet cement. It was just too deep for it to get out. And it was going, help, help, help me. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing down there? Please help me. So I climbed down the window well. He jumped up. I lifted him up out of the window well. And I figured he'd just go running away. And I, as I climbed out of the window well, I plopped myself up and I looked over and he was sitting there and he started licking me and barking and squealing like, thank you, thank you, thank you, save me, you saved me. And and I just had to laugh because I thought, that dog is me. I, I, I what, what the heck? This is crazy. I just helped that dog. He He helped me too to see that I needed help from others too. And so that's when I really stopped the hermitizing, <laughs> if that's even a word. And I came out of my shell and I started calling my peers and texting them and really getting on the phone with my mother and my, my family and others that I said, I need to talk. I need to talk this through. If I don't, I will be alone in my office, in my shell, hiding, scared, freaked out, frustrated, crying, and, and ultimately feel pathetic about myself, when in reality, I'd rather share my vulnerability. I'd rather sound pathetic with you. Can you help me through this? And that dog story taught me a lot because that dog was like, thank you for helping me. And it was almost like, you need to do the same. Call out for your friends. (laughs) So that's what I might share is I then made a promise, if you will, because that's the name of my book, The Promise to the One. I made a promise to the one, which is myself, the promise to myself to reach out to others, to talk about it, to go through it with them because I then found out they were going through their own ugly stuff and we could get through it together. Mm, I love that. Tell us a little more about your book. I've I've read it. I love it. It's great. So tell us a little more about that. 
So the book is called The Promise to the One, and uh, I'm very proud of it, obviously. It, it was a labor of love to write, as you know, of the book. And it's it's just about the promises we make to ourselves. When we think about the promises we make to our boss or our community or our church or our family, uh, those are all extremely essential. But what about the promise to self, the promise of creating better habits or even just being positive in a challenging time or even being vulnerable when, you know, it's called for and we need to share something with somebody? Uh, what is the promise to ourselves? And so that's what this book is about. And, and Into the New Year, it's a good book to read because so many of us are setting New Year's resolutions and creating new goals. And I like to say, why set a goal when we can make a promise? And one of our promises, you know, going into 2021 might be to honor 2020 and to create something great of 2021. I know that's my promise for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the fact that you keep your promise to the one. I've seen it as I've listened to your story, as I've read your book, and I've seen how it has informed your decisions throughout your life, even when changes needed to be made that were difficult. And so I, I really, really appreciate that. Tell us, um, tell everyone how they can reach you. Yeah, so I have a website, jasonhewlett.com. Hewlett's like Hewlett Packard. And uh, I, I mean, if they wanted to get on Amazon for the book, that's a great place. The audio book is very popular because it's me performing it. So I'm not just reading it. I'm I'm doing the voices and the, you know, if I say, and then I sing like the chipmunks. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. You know, everyone's like, oh, that's cool. So it's a fun performance. And then, uh, yeah, jasonhewlett.com is where people can reach me. And I, I still do events for every kind of group that is interested in feeling a little bit more joy, maybe some entertainment mixed with a powerful message of promise, how we can keep our promise to our clients and our customers and our team, the people we work with, and especially to our family and ourselves. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. It's great to be on here with you. I honor your work. You're incredible. Thank you for keeping your promise. Thank you so much. I cannot thank Jason enough for taking the time and being here with us to share his personal story and his experience with loss and the many career changes that he's had and how that has influenced him and how that, you know, the difficulty, if you're someone who has lost their job, lost their income, you can appreciate the things that he, he said. And even if, even if you haven't, you're aware of others that have. And we know that that is really, really hard. Some of the things that I took out of this interview as I listened to Jason share his experience was the ways that he used expression to help himself move through the loss, move through the sorrow, the sadness of what he experienced. Journaling, talking, walking, all are ways that he was able to express himself and to keep those emotions moving so that he could move through them. The other thing that came to mind is this, you know, what, what do we do when we feel unessential? Even if we're not given that label, I think that label was, is just really difficult, isn't it? We think about hairdressers and people that run restaurants and people that run the theaters and all of a sudden they're not essential. 
the labels can be extremely painful. Of course, we are all essential. And it's looking at that language and realizing that we have to tell ourselves that we are essential. Absolutely. Every individual is essential. And how to use gratitude. I loved how he expressed his ideas about gratitude and being grateful for some of the things that they were able to do, they hadn't been able to do in the past, and the importance of being there for each other. I love the word. I don't know that hermitize is a word. I love the word he he coined there, hermitize. It's so tempting to just to just pull in and to isolate ourselves and how important it is for us to be able to reach out to others, to talk it through and to get through things together. We're already into December. We've passed Thanksgiving. We're headed to Christmas. Well, if you're, if you're in the States, you've passed Thanksgiving. But we've passed Thanksgiving. We're into Christmas. Christmas is just, it's unbelievable. But it, by the time you hear this, it's probably less than three weeks away. And that can be a really tough time. And then we have the new year. It's just this one holiday after another. And these holidays are times when we have so many memories of experiences in the past. Our past really comes up a lot during the holidays. It really opens us up to our past. And I just want to let make, make you aware that 2020 pricing for coaching will be ending at the end of the year. I encourage you to get in soon, of, you know, as soon as you hear this, to book your appointment so we can talk about how you can go from a 2020 that was hard, like you're already experiencing grief, and then 2020 happened. It's a disaster. It, it's, it's hard. And I, I don't want you to downplay how hard that's been. I want you to look at how you're going to move forward from here and how you're going to make 2021 your year, your year for learning to heal, your year for learning how to cope with the things that you have had to endure that now that you can overcome that pain of loss and move forward with light and love and gratitude. It is not an easy process and it makes it a hundred times harder when we try to do it alone. So if you're looking for help, if you're feeling stuck, if you're ready to make a change, if you're ready to figure it out, if you're thinking that it's going to be too hard, that you can't figure it out, that it's going to be too hard to look at it, then let me talk to you. Let me show you how it can be done, how it doesn't have to be so hard. You're already doing hard. You get to choose your hard. Are you going to choose the hard of suffering for months and years and years? Or are you going to choose the hard of doing the work and getting the help? I'm here for you. I believe in you. Have a great week. Bye.